the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Happy government shutdown, day number one. Dun, dun, dun. It doesn't feel that bad, does it? Uh, I hope not. Um, What do we need to talk about here? Okay, let's see. First and foremost, I'm going to be talking with Patrick O'Hare. In a little bit. 7.30-ish. He's a market analyst. He'll give you a second opinion on what we're seeing on Wall Street at this point in time. Keep in mind, you're seeing some fantastic headlines. New York paper, the headline there is House of Turds. Um, Closed. Um, We're seeing things like that, right? Yosemite has a birthday today, and they're not even open. So people are going to start losing their minds soon because it's dramatic, to say the least. Um, Anything that you want to talk about today, we can. Uh, Would I use any sort of breakdown in the stock market to add to positions? I would. And from a long-term standpoint, this is what you dream of, opportunities to buy. From a short-term perspective, this is, you could buy 10% too soon. So... It's kind of a good day to be a technician. It's kind of a good day to understand momentum. Will this year bleed badly because of the government shutdown? 800,000 people sitting at home today doing nothing, not getting paid. Now, typically what happens in scenarios like this, we make right. We're a nation that makes right. We, we don't cut people's paycheck for Congress's squabbles. Um, so it's frustrating because we're going to lose a lot of productivity here. of Americans oppose a government shutdown tied towards health care costs. Basically, a massive rejection of congressional Republican strategy. Americans overwhelmingly oppose undermining President Barack Obama's health care law by shutting down the federal government or resisting an increase in the nation's debt limit. Now, this type of poll makes it more likely the debt ceiling deal will get done because Republicans will be taking some heat from their constituents for the next couple weeks. Republicans will be taking some heat from late-night comics. It's going to happen. Let's pretend there's other stories out there that we could talk about, because I think there are. Home prices up 12.4% from a year-ago level, fueled by more bidding on a limited supply of homes. Real estate provider CoreLogic came out with their report today. They said higher mortgage rates in the end of summer buying season likely slowed the gain. Prices rose in every state compared with the previous year, and in 99 out of 100 cities in America, the only one it did not on the list of top 100 cities would be Akron, Ohio. Sucks to be Akron. 99 cities went up. Except for you. Merck's going to eliminate 8,500 8, jobs. Cut costs by $2.5 billion. Um, drug makers have slashed research spending to bolster earnings. They plan to cut annual operating costs by $2.5 billion. By slimming down, Merck aims to narrow its focused products with the best chance of winning regulatory approval. 
and for achieving substantial sales, while jettisoning research products with less likelihood of success. That planned job cut represents more than 10% of the company's global workforce. That's a pretty big one. Like, when you play Russian roulette, um, Siemens this week announced they're going to cut 4,000 jobs, which is uh, 4% of their workforce. I'm sorry, it's uh, more jobs than that, but 4, 4%. So it's 15,000 jobs. That's a what, 1 in 25 chance. I would play Russian roulette with that. Um, and I just would hope that I'm not last and I hear 24 straight clicks, because that would not be good to be me. But when you're talking 10% of the company, 1 in 10, I would feel weird going to work today. In a tip of the hat to Americans are getting smarter, Walgreens, the largest U.S. drugstore operator, reported better than expected quarterly profit due to strong sales of higher margin generic drugs. Income hit $657 million. If you ever hear about bird flu breaking out in the United States or avian flu or swine flu or whatever it is, flu, old people are dying and children are staying home from school. Americans are now starting to wear gas masks on airplanes. Uh, that's when you want to buy the CVSs and the Walgreens. Just say no. Um, that's when the trade happens. Amazon's going to hire 70,000 seasonal workers. That's a lot. That's very exciting. No? I think it's very exciting. So, Anyhow, um, Berkshire's getting more than $2 billion in Goldman Sachs stock. Warren Buffett made a, a huge bet, basically helping Goldman when they needed help. And he got rewarded for it. Eh, good for him, right? Let's take a look at the market numbers. SP 500's up 5. Dow's up 10. NASDAQ up 17. Last time we had a government shutdown, the markets rallied during that quarter and the quarter after. This should be good because it should get Congress moving. Not today, but soon. Gold's down $33 an ounce, which is just weird. Oil's down fractions. Um, I could make a case that you would be buying gold right now based on fears and based on expectations of increasing the debt ceiling. I've got some numbers for you that I'm going to go over today tied towards what Obamacare means to you. It's very much so bullet points, so maybe next segment I'll do that so we can start thinking about the Affordable Care Act and what it may mean to you and me. Central operations in the United States are still running for now. Social security checks are still being dispersed. That's going to be the good one. When the newscaster goes, like, social security checks may not be paid. If we miss that debt ceiling, Medicare bills are still being paid. So a full-blown mess on Capitol Hill. It's far from a good thing with the debt ceiling deadline twisting in October when. It's kind of business as usual for now. The angst over the debt sell-off is a headwind, but until it gets done. Treasury market's not looking too good at the moment. Ten-year Treasury sits at 2.64%. If anyone's looking for something wonderful right now, it probably once again means the Federal Reserve's not going to do anything. No tapering in September, no tapering in October. Woo-hoo! More free money, so which is, again, why gold should be moving higher, I think. 
Just got an email from Monica. Um, she goes, what do you see as a good opportunity to invest in growth dividend stocks under 50 bucks? I don't think you're thinking of it right, Monica. And you can email me, rob at robblack.com. The basic idea is the price of the stock doesn't matter. Because if there's 100 shares at a dollar or one share at $100, your odds are the same. The under 50 is not... Would I rather own Berkshire Hathaway at $117,000 a share? I'd rather own that, per se, than, say, a stock under 50 just because it's under 50. What you're looking for is how much cash flow does a company have coming in? Like, for instance, uh, big value investor... Um, Miller came out on CNBC this morning and he says, Microsoft, well, he goes, Apple is a no-brainer. He said if it was a bond, it would be trading 40 times higher because those rates are so good. So I would say looking for a stock based on price, he got it a little bit wrong. She says, I'm middle-aged, I'm doing a little catch-up. You don't want to go for price of a stock. You want to go for quality. Cash flow coming in, cash flow going out, history of raising their dividends. Thanks for the email, Monica. You can email me, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. AM 1220 KDOW traffic. $100 in security equipment. Contractors like Lockheed Martin, along with Alta Devices Incorporated and Sundial Capital Partners, which makes sun-powered... I You did poorly. You got your one-hit wonder. And then they kind of disappeared. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I said that I was going to go over Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act um, because that's getting ready to start today in California. I'll do it later in the show, um, probably in the break after the next break, so probably around 45, uh, 51 past the hour is when that will start. Let's take a quick look at the market numbers right now. We've got a market that is dealing with a government shutdown. We've got the SP500 up 8, the Dow's up 39, and the NASDAQ's up 22. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. How are you today, Chad? Great. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for asking. It's always good to have you in studio talking financials, talking money with me. You often say that you can't start a financial plan without a budget. Now, again, there's a lot of things you need to know about money. Budgeting is one of them. It's probably uh, close to the top of the things that you need to know. Budgeting and goals. Yeah, I mean, you know, a true financial planner, true fiduciary that's going to actually create a financial plan for you is going to be very cash flow oriented, which means long-term cash flow projections, long-term projections of even your tax bracket. And you can't possibly figure out whether or not you've saved enough or how much you have to save until you know what you're spending now and what you're going to spend in retirement until you've created a budget. I mean, I can't, I can't do anything for people until I know what their expenses are. You know what I mean? Right, unless, right. Unless, they, in, unless I can look at their portfolio and say, oh, you have way more than you need to retire on, I need a budget. It's, it's one of the metrics that you use to say, are you meeting your expectations in retirement? Are you meeting your goals or not? So younger people just really need to move slowly 
and buy what you can afford. That's the, that's the first thing about budgeting when you're younger is buy what you can afford. Don't buy what your parents already have. Buy what you can afford because people are going to be judging you by the size of your portfolio when you retire, not the type of car you drive. So you're saying the size does matter? Of the portfolio? Right. Definitely. Absolutely. So budgeting, you just brought up a concept. There's retirement budget, but there's also a pre-retirement budget. Is For simpler terms, a pre- like my lifestyle, I need a budget. I need to make sure that I'm not spending more than my paychecks. Yeah, well, you've got to look at the budget and see how long certain things are projected for. You can't just look at your budget if you have young kids right now, especially in the Bay Area if you're in an area where you're using private school. That expense isn't going to be there forever. So some certain expenses, uh, private education, certain kids' costs, you know, the ballet every month, the soccer costs, that's going to go away at some point. But other things come back in in retirement that you've got to project as well. Like most people spend more money in the first five years of retirement than, than when they're their last five years of working because they're, they're doing either the honey-do list or the vacation dream list or buying the RV or the second home. All of that has to be projected. So you have to sit down and say, what do I want my retirement to be like? Am I really going to be happy if I just quit working at age 60 or 65? Do I have hobbies? Do I have things that, that excite me, that I'm passionate about, that I want to do? And how do I fund that? You know, how do you make money work for what you really want your life to be like? So I get the whole Rob Black's lifetime budget. You know, I get what I'm spending, what I'm not spending, what I'm saving, what I'm not saving. Um, I use Mint.com, which stands for MoneyIntelligence.com. It helps me with a budget because it tracks all my spending, Yeah, which yeah. is basically what a budget is. Track your spending first and foremost and then start, you know, adding other lines into that budget. Now, what do you think about Mint.com? Um, I think, uh, you know, if you can get past the first couple of quarters where it's kind of monotonous, you got to make sure things get categorized the right way. Sometimes if you're using certain cards, things can get double booked. So there's some definitely some weekly cleanup that you want to do for the first couple of months on Mint. And then, and then hopefully it gets automated for you. You sign up your credit cards and, and debit cards, and then it tracks your spending and helps you categorize that. And then you can see how you're doing versus other families in your same kind of zip code area. You know, are you spending more or less? Are you cool with uh, using an online tool like Mint.com where it's yeah. tracking your finances and you're not worried about hackers? Yeah, the, the, the thing that I've seen is, first of all, most credit cards and bank cards, you're going to have that $50 limit where you're you know, responsible for maybe the first 50 bucks. But you've got to keep an eye on it in case something happens so you can shut it down. Most of the bad cases of identity theft that I've seen have to do with mail. Okay. You know, the, people that sign up their credit cards online, as long as they have a, a, a pretty recent computer right. with spyware and adware that you're constantly, you know, set your computer up so you're doing a screen every night, obviously. Um, it, I think it's a lot safer to pay checks online than to write checks. Okay. And, and I'm not worried about the, the online theft, but, you know, go ahead and get your identity theft insurance if you want to. So we need to wrap this up a little bit sooner rather than later. We talked a little bit pre-retirement budget. Let's talk post-retirement budget. What are some of the surprises that people need to start allocating for that, that expense? Your dreams, first of all. So you've got to make sure you sit down now and dream what you want your retirement to be like that and budget for that. But don't forget, you've got health care costs. Medicare insur- medical insurance isn't free when you turn 65. You have Medicare. You've got to pay for Medicare Part B. That's 115 or so a month or more if you're a successful person and, and have a higher income. And you've got taxes. Most of the money people are retiring with are in their 401K. So you've got a million dollars in your 401K. That's really only 700 grand after taxes. Right? Absolutely. And then inflation, that's the biggest one. Healthcare costs are going up at five to six percent. The value of a dollar is cut in half every eighteen years, so you can't assume that your your income will be level in retirement. You've got to be able to increase it with inflation. You can find Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com or chadburton.com. He is a CFP. 
So here's some of the things you could expect because of government dysfunction. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, a drag on fourth quarter real GDP. About 15 basis points. So it's not upsetting. This function's not new. We've seen this before, and you can start to mathematically quantifying it. Most data releases will be delayed. So, for instance, we're supposed to get a jobs report on Friday, October 4th. It's not going to happen. People like me who have money in Wall Street, one of the number one things that we look at is how healthy is our economy based on jobs. Because if you have a job, you're going to spend it this Christmas. If you spend it, you're going to help the economy. Most data release is going to be delayed. So a lot of decision makers are going to be questioning. The quality of some official data will degrade as the shutdown lengthens because workers will not be able to be in the field and collect some of the raw data that helps government come up with projections. All treasury payments will be processed, including principal and interest. As its fiscal agent, the Federal Reserve remains open for business. Basically, in the back and forth of legislation right now, the ball is now in Speaker John Boehner's court. The heat will build on politicians from constituents who are furloughed, inconvenienced, or fearful. This is what I believe creates a short event, basically about a week, maybe 10 days. So what's going to happen between now and then? No one really has the right answer, but I think you're going to see that this too shall pass. And then you'll be able to say, I lived through a stupid government shutdown, and all I got was a stinking shirt. So, political dysfunction. I hate saying that word, because... Stephen Biko, famous Afrikaner, once said, just because we fight... No, 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 no. He said, just because we argue, we don't have to dislike each other. Just because we argue, we don't have to fight. Man, Boehner was making fun of the president last night doing an impression of them. Dysfunction. It's Rob Black and your money. Come up. Patrick O'Hare, market analyst, briefing.com. A public service announcement brought to you by... You're listening to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back again. Rob Black, your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Big story of the day, government shutdown. Can't avoid that. Market's doing okay. History shows us that shutdowns is a buying opportunity for investors, but even if I tell you that, it may not give you comfort. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com. Everyone who has money in the markets should check out briefing.com because I think you do a great job of giving us digestible information through some of the articles that you send out, but also the, the daily notes and updates that come out through uh, you know the day for traders. How are you, Patrick? Hi, Rob. Thanks. Appreciate that. Ho- Doing fine. Hopefully you weren't going to go to Yosemite this weekend or go see a national park. Well, funny enough, I was actually at the uh, St. Louis Arch on Sunday, so I got in uh, just in the nick of time. So uh, that's closed down today, obviously, with the uh, 
with the partial government shutdown. Uh, but you're right, uh, a lot of other spots uh, that people should be visiting right now uh, can't be visited because of the dysfunction in Washington. So let's talk about the dysfunction in Washington. Um, I think the New York, one of the New York papers got it completely right with the headline, House of Turds. Um, <laughs> Americans just, we don't appreciate this, it seems, right? You know, um, I, I mean, I think that uh, uh, you can look at, you know, whatever polls you want to look at. I mean, the approval rating for Congress is abysmally low. And I think that just underscores that, you know, Americans, uh, you know, look to these uh, members of Congress to get things done, you know, and all they constantly see on TV and read in the papers is basically boils down to a lot of uh, petulant finger pointing and uh, no resolve to uh, negotiate in a bipartisan spirit that's going to help advance uh, the interests of the United States and the United States economy. And so it's been really debilitating here uh, and, frankly, exasperating to see uh, our government work or perhaps not work the way that it is right now. It's interesting that you talk about the approval ratings. I saw a new poll out that root canals are more popular than Congress. Congress's approval ratings at 10%. Right. And I had a root canal. It wasn't so bad. But with that said, that's shocking, isn't it? It is, uh, you know, but again, it just is uh, these guys that are uh, out there, you know, supposedly doing the people's work, um, you know, aren't doing much work at all, it seems, to really uh, help the cause here, and it's just paralyzing um, uh, a lot of things, and, uh, you know, regardless of which side of the argument one comes down on, uh, the bickering that we're seeing taking place in Washington, you know, when you've got a, an economy that's already struggling to grow, you know, 2%, any, you know, uh, slowdown or shutdown uh, within the federal government is, is going to be a drag on that, and it's going to end up costing jobs in the end, and it's just going to continue to uh, retard the progress of the U.S. recovery here, and so that's that's not a good thing, um, and so you can point uh, fingers of blame at, at both sides probably for not getting something done in accordance with, uh, you know, what they've been elected to do. Now, you've seen a lot of this come and go in your lifetime, Patrick. Um, do you think this kills our economy? Do you think this pushes us to recession, or is that being too dramatic? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the shutdown itself, is, it's too dramatic to think that it pushes you into uh, into a recession. Um, our economist, uh, Jeff Rosen, here has uh, indicated to me that, you know, for every two weeks the government is closed, it should take off about three-tenths of one uh, – three three tenths of one percent uh, of GDP. So um, that's not going to drive us into a recession. But the issue here, really, I think, the, you know, the, the thing that's hanging in the balance, obviously, is the debt ceiling negotiation. And if that goes bad, then yes, that could drive you back into a recession, uh, because that's just not going to end up uh, being good for anyone. What else are you looking at today that we can change the topic on from debt ceiling in Washington to Wall Street? <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that. I actually am looking at some debt ceiling issues, unfortunately. Um, you know, I was uh, doing some research back into what we saw transpire uh, in 2011, and really the, 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 the real, you know, damage was done between July 22nd and August 8th, and you saw the S&P 500 drop about 17% during that time. Now, we obviously did ultimately get a deal, uh, but a lot of damage was done leading up to it, and, you know, unfortunately, that risk exists again today, um, and so I'm just kind of taking a look at some of those areas that were hard hit during that period of time, and not surprisingly, you're seeing 
uh, I saw that you know pretty much the cyclical sectors, uh, which are growth sensitive, were the ones that were the hardest hits, i.e., the consumer discretionary, industrials, financials, materials, and energy sectors. So, um, so if you're sitting there looking at some big gains and you're you know anxious about the debt ceiling again getting to a really nasty point that could cause some real upset in the market. You know, investors might want to consider taking some uh, some money off the table in those areas because they're likely to get hit the hardest again if we see another uh, repeat episode. Obamacare goes into effect today, and I'm starting to read some of the details, and I think Washington's trying to explain to us what it is and what it's not. Um, do you think that has a drain on small businesses? Because that's the way the media is portraying it, that the guys that own franchises are going to skirt the law as best they can and drain as much as they can of their employees. Any thoughts on how Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, will affect the stock market and businesses? Right. Well, you know, that is kind of the great irony today, isn't it, that uh, those health exchanges are are going online and that really Obamacare is at the root of the budget impasse here. But nonetheless, that uh, is something that was already, you know, a done deal. And so those are operational here. Um, But, you know, from the standpoint of small business owners who are, you know, essentially telling you that, you know, if they're going to have to pay um, penalties or things of that nature, um, you know, that's going to restrict their willingness to, you know, add more workers beyond that uh, that threshold of 50 employees. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I think, you know, I think that, you know, a valid argument could be made that it is going to impede things here. Um, but at the end of the day, it is still the law of the land. And so, um, you know, if, if Americans want that ultimately to change, well, then they'll uh, probably go to the voting booths to make that happen. But, uh, you know, we'll have to see here. But that's, you know, that's one of the other things that's underlying, you know, some of these difficulties here in these negotiations is that you can bet a lot of these members of Congress are already looking at the midterm elections in 2014. And there's some political posturing taking place in front of that. And that's going to make these uh, negotiations all the more difficult here. But, um, but uh, yeah, it is something to be mindful of, and uh, we'll continue to watch that. So there's a couple of uh, analysts and strategists at Briefing that I really, really like, and I think you're one of the better market analysts. Um, and I got my foot in my mouth. When I say better, I'm, I'm giving you full praise. Um, I do you, appreciate that. Thank you. Do you look at other analysts and ever go, this guy's crazy? Or because I think what I'm trying to get at is I think some in the our listenership think that it's it's a game and some like some people are super bullish some people are super bearish. You seem to be you know kind of Goldilocksy and as long as the jobs are there you'll you'll continue to push forward. Um, And I'm putting words in your mouth there. But do you ever look at other analysts and like shake your head? Um, you know, I, I, I see a lot come across my desk um, in yep. terms of what I read and everything. Um, and sometimes it's just one of those, without naming specific names, sometimes you get a really good analyst that just says something that kind of sounds off the wall, you know, for that point in time. And, um, you know, so I, I think it's in this day and age anyway with how kind of – screwy things are, if you will, Um, and with so many different dimensions factoring into a market outlook now with the global landscape and what's going on in Europe and China and the emerging markets and Latin America and and politics and monetary policy. I mean, 
it's it's really you know difficult to to stick to a, a a strict line of of thinking for a lot of people. But you know, at the end of the day, you stay rooted in fundamental analysis here, and I think that that will drive more level-headed analysis here for for market strategists. And there's a basis, obviously, to rationalize a lot of um, you know big price targets, and at the same time, there's a basis to rationalize you know the market not going anywhere here for a certain period of time. And so you're kind of in that really uh, difficult place right now, I think, fundamentally, from a fundamentally, uh, from a fundamental perspective anyway, because um, with a lot of uncertainty being removed, some fundamental, you know, pictures open up a little bit more clearly and things can look a lot better for the market. At the same time, if they break in a bad way, you know, the fundamentals can worsen and, you know, you know, and the things don't look so great. But um, I think it's human nature that really some people just say things that are off the wall to get people's attention. Uh, and and I think you know a, a bad comment or a bad piece of insight when you see it. <laughs> there was a headline that just passed that I saw. Carl Icahn tweets he pushed hard for $150 billion Apple buyback over dinner. What do you think about the role of the activist shareholder yeah. in this market today? You know, um, I was I was looking at that tweet as well, and and it just it struck me, you know, specifically, you know, I don't have anything specific to say about Apple itself, but I, I feel like Mr. Icon is kind of taking this passive aggressive courtship of Tim Cook. You know, it's it's more or less, hey, we're buddy buddy here, and here's what you're gonna do, and here's what I'm gonna tell everyone you're gonna do, and if you don't do it, well then, you know, maybe we won't be so buddy buddy the next time we meet, and I think that you know. Activism is, you know, is a good thing okay. when there's a lot of uh, cash that's, you know, shareholder money that's doing nothing. You know, I think that uh, there is some validity in those viewpoints, but you can also take take it to the extreme in certain cases, like we saw with Bill Ackman and J.C. Penney, and he basically ruined, you know, a, you know, a formidable company. You know, and now they're fighting tooth and nail to get back, and that was a clear case of where shareholder activism went went wrong, and uh, so you just kind of have to. Be mindful of you know what the agendas are here and and what they're really trying to uh, to achieve in the end. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst, Briefing.com, independent live market analysis of U.S. and international markets, Briefing.com. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. So, Netflix are going to report earnings October 21st. Variety is reporting that they've added The Office and 30 Rock final seasons, other NBC shows as of today. It's kind of a network. And what's kind of interesting about Netflix is they're kind of an international network. And you pay to use their services, unlike ABC, NBC, CBS. With that said, you kind of do pay for ABC, NBC, CBS if you have a cable bill. Netflix is going to offer instant streaming 192 episodes of The Office, 135 episodes of Third Rock. Breaking Bad was huge. They drew audiences for... Netflix drew audiences for Breaking Bad. Netflix 
you know, Breaking Bad, the, the finale, pulled in 10.3 million viewers. And that's because um, people were able to catch up with it. It's considered the greatest show of all time. It's considered, I think, Vince Gilligan, from the creator of, of uh, Breaking Bad, has said Netflix kept us on the air. We probably would have been canceled after two seasons if people didn't have that chance to do catch-up. So Netflix International Network. What's that worth? You know, it's pretty interesting to think about. Um, There's a new app out there that could be a threat to Facebook. Is Facebook losing traction to teens? And Mark Zuckerberg has had to say that numerous times. Over 100 million people from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. in the United States check their Facebook page. 44 million people watch ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, other shows on Comcast, other shows on Media General, other shows on Cablevision. 44 million watch something on their televisions between 8 and 11. Facebook's twice as big as far as total eyeballs. There's an app called WhatsApp, WhatsApp Messenger. It's a messaging service that's huge outside the United States and gaining more ground within it. You've got 300 million users already. It carries 25 billion messages every day. WhatsApp group messaging function appears to be increasingly used as a replacement for Facebook's group function, especially amongst extended families. In schools and anywhere, someone needs a convenient way of mass texting a small group of known associates because you can only communicate with people who are already your contacts. WhatsApp seems like a much safer, more private version of group messaging. On Facebook, anyone can contact anyone else, assuming you haven't locked down your settings. Both Facebook and Google and Google Plus have tried to dominate group messaging, but WhatsApp appears to have nailed the formula. In South Africa, WhatsApp is now more downloaded than Facebook is. Of course, Facebook is more likely to come as a native app already on your phones that you're buying. Rumors say WhatsApp is probably worth about $2 billion in an acquisition. Not bad for a company that has only 50 employees and $8 million of venture funding. A couple months ago, Google's looking at acquiring the company. They haven't done it yet. Facebook's the only other company that could do it. Teens and young adults are increasingly using WhatsApp, not only for traditional messages, but also for more general and long-term staying in touch, including sharing status updates and pictures. It's been traditionally been the heart and soul of social networking on Facebook. Um, high schools have created whole classes of WhatsApp as a group, not for serious messages that everyone needs to see, but for sharing status updates and pictures. Parents are happy because using WhatsApp avoids a lot of the personal safety concerns of sharing personal details on Facebook. So, does that change your mind about Facebook? Probably not. But you need to start always asking yourself, what could go wrong with my investment thesis? Oh, my. Okay, a couple things. Cisco CEO John Chambers got an 80% raise. Not bad, right? $21 million in total compensation in the company's fiscal year 2013. Got a massive stock reward. The stock is up. It's done very nicely for the year. He had a low salary, so they changed his salary and gave him some more stock, as well as a cash bonus that increased from 750000 to $4.7 million. Got to watch how much your CEO makes. You know, Chambers is pulling in $21 million. Uh, Larry Ellison's pulling in $77 million. 
who's more important to their shareholders? JCPenney stock went up. If anyone wants some notes on the Affordable Care Act and how it may affect you, the website has already been crashed today that you're supposed to use via the government. Exchanges in California open today. If you're receiving health insurance through your employer, you will not qualify for a subsidy or want any plans on the exchange because they're going to cost you more money and offer you less benefits. A lot of employers heavily subsidize your premiums, and you can pay for your coverage using pre-tax dollars, something you can't do if you buy it on an exchange. If you're single and you make more than $46,000, you will not qualify for a subsidy. If you have a family of four, husband, wife, two kids, and you make more than 94000 you will not qualify for a subsidy. The exchange is for and offers subsidies to no-income, low-income, or employees that work for a company that does not offer benefits. Individuals with pre-existing conditions will no longer be denied coverage or charged. If not enough young people sign up, the exchange will collapse in a few years. They need young people heavily. The individual mandate that you have health insurance by January 1, 2014, you need to either have coverage via your employer or purchase yourself directly through an insurance company's. There's an individual mandate penalty. It'll cost you $95 or approximately 1% of your income, whichever is greater. The penalties will rise each year. If, if the individual mandate, the law that requires individuals to purchase health insurance on January 1, 2014, is pushed back, then Obamacare has lost a major support pillar, young people. They will surely not purchase health insurance. The sick and the older will run into exchange, and an unbalanced exchange cannot survive. The enrollment period for coverage in 2014 closes on March 31st. After that, you can only enroll if you have a major life event. All plans essentially provide the same level of benefits, including prescriptions, preventative care, doctor visits, emergency services, and hospitalizations. There are essentially four plans that are all named after colors, with platinum being the best. If you want more details on this, drop me an email, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. There are many debt relief plans and scams out there. So if you find yourself with $10,000 reports, interviews with local professionals, and much, much more, whether you're an investor, you know, we should have done this a long time. Exceptional financing. Little Jack Horner. Welcome in. Good day. Happy government shutdown day to you. Our economy is going to lose about $300 million a day while the economy is ultimately confronting what the government's doing. That's a small fraction to a $15.7 trillion economy, but it slowly adds up. And it also erodes confidence from businessmen or businesses, I should not be sexist, and consumers alike. There is some irony that the day the Affordable Care Act goes online, there seems to be enough demand that it's shutting down websites across states and across the nation that are tied towards it. Um, government shutdown begins. Deadlock Congress flails. Great use of the word flail. It's one of those fun words that you get to pull out every now and then. Um, let's see. The SP 500 is up 11 today. Dow's up 68. The NASDAQ's up 33. A 
couple Apple stories for you. Carl Icahn said he had lunch or dinner with Tim Cook. Cordial dinner. We pushed hard for $150 billion buyback. We decided to continue dialogue in a couple weeks, three weeks. Apple announced it would turn as much as $100 billion back to shareholders. $60 billion of which would be through a share buyback. Apple has already purchased about $16 billion of its own stock. $150 billion buyback is well above the current buyback. Apple likely wouldn't have trouble funding an increased buyback. Apple has $147 billion in cash and short-term fundings, uh, cash and short-term and long-term securities. And even by low estimates, Tech Giants estimate to get $50 billion in free cash flow this year. Now, he's not the only analyst saying Apple, or he's an activist investor. There's another investor out there who is known for being pretty smart. He's a value investor. His name's Bill Miller. Has a hot hand after buying Netflix and Best Buy last year. Um, he had a crazy streak of beating the S&P 500. That it was snapped, and it was snapped pretty aggressively. So some people are like, ah, he's lost his mojo. But he seems to have it back now. He was on uh, financial television today, and he says, it just makes no sense for Apple to trade where it is. Seven times enterprise value to cash flow. If Apple was a junk bond, it would trade 40% higher. He runs the Leg Mason Opportunity Trust, which was up 40% in 2012. Apple's one of his top holdings. He said... An Apple double is probably not likely in the next 12 to 24 months, but if it takes two years to get back to where it was a year ago, it's 50% higher from current levels. He explained the psychology game surrounding a stock can turn on a dime. When Netflix was at 60, and now it's at 300. That was a year ago. Best Buy was at 13, now it's at uh, 38. Psychology changed very, very quickly. As for the overall market, he says that the overall market looks fairly valued. So there's two analysts. For the record, I own shares of Apple. Um, and I agree on the cash flow statements. You know, my opinion's not stronger than his, I assure you. Um, Amazon's going to hire 70,000 seasonal workers. Chrysler U.S. sales rose slightly in the month of September. Wells Fargo's going to pay Freddie Mac $780 million to settle mortgage claims. Google's trying to end a search engine case with the European Union antitrust chief. Shutdown would not delay Twitter's public IPO filing. Yesterday I said that it probably would. The government is shut down, but that won't stop Twitter from posting its documents on a government website for an upcoming initial public offering. There's a Chrysler IPO that could also be affected. Twitter is expected to make public its IPO documents this week. They confidentially submitted its IPO filing to the Securities Exchange Commission on September 12th. So now Twitter must publish documents on the SEC's website that's publicly public. The SEC is unlike most other agencies in that its funds must remain available until expended. So the SEC can use up all the money in its piggy bank before it has to close shop. We'll be open for a couple weeks. So the Twitter IPO might come, but if the markets aren't acting well, they might delay it. So we'll be paying attention to that. That's a big win day for California. A lot of tax revenue will be created as Twitter makes a couple millionaires here, a couple billionaires there. 
SP 500 is up 11, the Dow is up 62, the Nasdaq is up 32, the 10 year Treasury sits at 2.64%. Gold's getting crushed. Like, this is, that would be, in theory, it shouldn't be, because there's calamity, right? Um, so, those are the big market stories out there. Americans overwhelmingly oppose the shutdown tied towards healthcare costs. If this shutdown goes on as long as the previous one did, a 21-day, it would cut GDP expectations from 22 2.3% down to 1.4%. So we're not going to go into a recession from it unless it goes deep into next year. And no one's expecting that. So gold is cratering today. Oh, by the way, for the Fed shutdown, some of the economic data for the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, it's not going to happen. If the government doesn't have employees at the Bureau of Labor complying with statistics and going out in the field, we're not going to low the labor numbers. So they're going to delay them. That means the Federal Reserve is not going to taper. The Fed Reserve can't make any decisions based on the price of, you know, the, the pace of labor improvements if they don't have that data to look at. So gold... It's unclearly what's up. You have to figure some folks went long gold based on fiscal concerns. So it has to be cruel what's happening to gold today. Um, just getting crushed. That's about all I got for you. Um, J.C. Penney's got a day that's up. It's just not enough there to really like talk about. U.S. home prices up 12.4%. Slower increase than what was expected. Um, mortgage rates in the end of summer buying season slowed the gain. 99 out of 100 cities rose. Only one was down. Akron, Ohio. Car stocks still have some gas left in them. GM U.S. sales fell 11% in September. Chevy sales slid. But Ford, U.S. new vehicle sales up 5.8%. Chrysler up 1%. Four models set records. Toyota sales fell. It came in a month of... Uh, September, where you ultimately had a holiday. Actually, this is August data. You ultimately had a holiday fall into a different month, and you had a shorter month. Auto sales fell 11%. Automakers, which broadly reported solid U.S. monthly sales, the past few years have posted relatively tepid results for September as a result of an unfavorable calendar. There's uh, fewer days for selling in September. So that's kind of an interesting note. Every one of my streets seems to have a truck. Trucks are very, very profitable. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. It's 800-516-1220. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Cisco's CEO, John Chambers, got a big pay raise. Merck's eliminating 8,500 jobs. That's a pretty big job cut. It's 10% of the company's global workforce. That's bad news for you and me, because I want them to come up with a cure for cancer. I want them to come up for a cure for heart disease. I want them to come up for a cure for... They're probably going to do an acquisition soon. You're listening to me, Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Shutdown will cost up to $300 million a day. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 
if Obamacare does go forward and gets funded, which it is now part of our government budget as of today, it's going to be good things for almost any hospital company. It'll mean good things for Johnson Johnson Pfizer. There's a healthcare spider XLV that you should take a look at. About 45 million Americans with little or no insurance are going to be able to consume medical care. In countries where government health care isn't the norm, those numbers work to the benefit of the hospital sector companies. Even if the Republicans stop Obamacare, nothing's going to stop the hand of time as baby boomers head towards death. They're going to be spending more time and more money in hospitals to forestall the inevitable with all the anti-aging potions biotech can create. So if you want to go biotech, there's a good ETF, XBI, XBI. And... Uh, That's just a fact. To me, we can disagree, but I see that as just a fact. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Uh, Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. The markets are up today. That's nice to see because uh, they're handling things rationally. SP 500 is up 12. The Dow is up 67. The NASDAQ up 33. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. He's with NewFocusFinancial.com. That's NewFocusFinancial.com. I want to do a topic today with you, Chad, if you don't mind, on bonds. Stocks means you own a little piece of that corporation. Bonds means it's an IOU. Mm-hmm. There's different types of bonds. There's government bonds. There's corporate bonds. There's municipal bonds. Um, there's foreign market bonds. There's berry bonds. There's floating rate bonds. There's a lot of bonds. Yeah. I-bonds, zero-coupon bonds. What do we need to know about bonds, in your opinion? Well, and that's that's a tough one because this is really the hardest area to manage right now, Rob. I mean, we're looking at historical low interest rates on bonds. We're looking at the Federal Reserve buying, you know, billions and trillions of dollars worth of bonds over the last couple of years. They were buying at the short end of the curve. Now they're going to be buying at the long end of the curve. So what you need to know about bonds, I think, first and foremost, is, is look at the holdings in your bond fund that you've been owning inside your 401ks because a lot of people own bonds for a nice little income, right? Right. And then for a cushion when the stock market drops. So the idea of having a balanced portfolio or bonds in it means that because bonds aren't doing as well as stocks when stocks are rallying, they'll, they'll have a cushion for the downside, and in the long run, they win. But a lot of bun, bonds, because the yields are so low, they've been having to buy preferred stocks and, and stocks yielding up to the 3 and 4% range to keep their income high. So a lot of people are, are in bonds right now, bond funds that are becoming closet stock funds, and I don't think they might realize the overall risk that's there. So you know, it's something that you, you do have to peel gains from. So let's, let's look at the different types, right? right? You've got government. On the corporate side, you've got high-quality bonds, which are typically AAA or, well, let's see, AA rated and above, right? Right. Then you've got junk bonds and then convertible bonds. We bought a lot of convertible bonds and high-yield or junk bonds in 2009 in about May when they had dropped drastically. They were baby out with the bathwater. Then we had 20 or 30% returns on those funds. That's not normal. So when you get high returns on a certain area of bond funds, you really have to be careful about peeling off the growth. Um, also, you've got to look at big price jumps like tips, for example, have jumped drastically when we really don't have a lot of inflation yet. Um, so look for opportunities when, when things like tips or treasury inflation protected bonds, when they pull back five or 6%, that's when your buying opportunities typically are. Which again, we grew up, Chad, you and I both grew up at the same era and we thought bonds were for old people. 
I feel bad for old people right now because interest rates are so low that bonds really aren't necessarily for them mm-hmm. because the bonds don't have the yield that it used to. So seniors can't put their money in the bank. They can't get money on CDs. Too too low of rates. They, mm-hmm. The bonds, they have to increase their risk profile. And you don't really want to necessarily increase your risk profile with bonds because bonds are considered a little bit you know more consistent than stocks. Yeah, I mean, for the next couple of years, I can see why a 20- or 30-year-old would just simply dividend-paying stocks instead of bonds. Because um, they can deal with the volatility. If the market has a big correction, they have time to either add more in after the correction or or save more in the long run. But older people, they can't really steer. You know, they have to stay the course. And and when you're older and you're close to retirement, you need three years worth of expenses in cash. I know your cash isn't earning anything, but don't put that cash to work in high risk bond funds. You've got to have three years' worth of your portfolio drawn cash and then a balanced portfolio and make sure that the bond side of your balanced portfolio is diversified, uh, meaning you've got some governments, you've got some Ginnie Mays, a little bit of convertibles and corporates, but your duration, that's what you've got to pay attention to. You don't want bonds that are, that are really outside of the five- to seven-year range right now, in my opinion, because um, you know two years just aren't attractive. They don't give you much income. And going out longer than five to seven years in duration on bonds, the length of maturity, you're taking on too much long-term interest rate risk. I remember when I first got into the business, I, I, I was trying to study bonds and analyze bonds, and it's difficult. That's a totally different skill set than analyzing stocks. So I think it's, it's key, important, that seniors or wealthy people don't do their own bond work because it's not the same as stock work. It's, it's a different art. Yeah, you know, when interest rates are really high and heading down, that's the time where you can just kind of no-brainer buy bonds directly and hold them till maturity. When we're in situations like this where it's unclear in the next two years where rates will kind of head, yeah. um, it's really helpful to get a good no-load fund, uh, bond fund manager. I like that you trying to say bonds, buns. Buns, German buns. I think we're just hearing way too much about that yeah, in the, the news but I think in times like this where the, the clarity on where interest rates are moving, that's where having a bond manager is, is attractive. But I, I can tell you that if we go through a period where, let's say, by 2015 rates are high, right. and it looks like they're leveling out or coming down, I'm going to sell all my bond funds and buy individual bonds and hold them to maturity. I'm an individual bond kind of guy. Now, let's do one last topic on bonds. When we were growing up, there was a theory that you should take your age, 100 minus your age, and that's how much you should have in bonds. Or in stocks versus bonds. Do you remember that one? Yeah. And then and they changed it to like 120 minus your age. I think it's, it's garbage either way. Because what, what you're doing is when you're dollar cost averaging, when it makes sense is when you're adding to your portfolio every month because of your paycheck, right? Right. But in retirement, to reverse dollar cost average does not work. The reason why is because that means every month you're selling something when you withdraw your, your paycheck to live, you're selling something at a loss. Because if stocks are going up 7 out of 10 years, usually bonds can be, could be falling during that period of time, for example. So you're always selling something at a loss. So that's why you have to have safe money, a bond portfolio, a dividend-paying stock portfolio, and then your dividends and your bonds pay your safe money. Right. And then you rebalance and pull the gains off the table to uh, continue to keep your safe money at that three-year level. So, you know, timing the market doesn't make a difference when you're younger. It does when you're older. CFP Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He's a certified financial planner, and he's at newfocusfinancial.com. Solar energy is going to explode. It's going to be dominant source of energy by the end of the century. I know. I'm projecting out 80 years. 87 years. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Ignore him. Make it your gift. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.